Welcome back to the At The Yard Podcast. I am once again joined by National Scouting Director for Prep Baseball Report, Shooter Hunt. Shooter, we are just a few days away from the 2023 MLB Draft. Wanted to bring you on to chat about some California players who might have an opportunity to hear their name called next week in the draft. And, you know, before we dive into that, thanks for hopping on, man. Always, Les. Talking California draft prospects and might have a chance is probably being a little too nice these a lot of these guys are slam dunk going to get drafted and get a lot of money <laughs> well well let's start with some of those guys that we think that are, are going to be slam dunks and 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 you know actually before we do that you know you as a player went through this process uh you know first round pick out of Tulane you, you had an opportunity to sign and play some pro ball and I'm just curious as a player what are these last few days before the draft when you, you know, have this anticipation of going early in the draft? Um, you know, what are those like for for a player? You know, what sort of things are you doing? What are you doing to, to try to keep your mind off of, you know, the inevitable fact of hearing your name called? Um, I, I think for most of these guys, like you're so, as an athlete, especially a baseball player, built into your habitual process. And I'm sure guys are going to take BP. Um, like any hitter is going to go out. I just want to go play catch with my dad, go out there and keep my mind off of things. Pitching wise, you're probably doing your arm maintenance because you're expecting to hit the ground running. Like I want to sign. I'm going to go be ready to go for next week at the complex, whatever it may be. Um, and this is kind of that time where you can sit back and like think about, wow, this is really cool. I went through this whole process. I'm no longer playing games. I'm not going out there. Radar guns behind the fence. Bullpens are over. Workouts are over. This is pretty sweet. I have guys calling. Um, so like that's going through guys' mind right now. And then the other side of the, the table is the fact that the draft is so uh, unpredictable that most of these guys don't know what's going to happen. Right. They, they have an idea where you might go here at pick 20, but you might not go till 65 and then you might just end up at school. So there's a lot of variables that come into play. Um, but I mean, when we talk, you and I, most of the scouting, uh, especially of high school guys, starts in Southern California and, and really all of California and then spreads out to the rest of the country when looking statistically. Yeah, and we, we've got a number of guys throughout the state of California, not just in SoCal, who you know, we're pretty high on as an organization. And then, you know, you and I personally are pretty high on as well. Uh, so let, let's just jump in, right? Uh, you know, it seems to be, you, you know, watching the combine and, you know, reading all the stuff and having conversations with, with scouts and, and people of the like. Uh, it seems like Ralph Velasquez has, has really cemented himself in that you know, day one conversation. Um, and it seems, you know, just in chatting with some scouts here locally that it's a matter of how high can he go? Uh, do you get that same impression? I mean, Les, you're, you're just repeating what we said in February after uh, <laughs> the, the preseason kickoff there at, at Great Park. But Ralph Velasquez is the, is the best bat um, on the West Coast. Left-handed power, I, I think his field to hit and really to manipulate the barrel for a guy who's for a while was just seen as that big powerful bat um his hit tool is what really stands out and has always stood out really the last two three years on the national level um, i'm with you 
if, if you look profile, yes, he was behind the plate, but probably going to be the first baseman when think all things are said and done. Um, his value is that bat. And yeah, they can start him off behind the dish, but if the bat becomes what it's going to be, he's more than suitable to just stay at first base. Um, and looking back to last year, a kid like Xavier Isaac, who went in the first round to the Rays um, from the state of North Carolina, very similar profiles. I think Ralph probably has a better hit tool right now. Um, Xavier had a little less track record after an injury. Um, but I, I think definitely in that back end of the first round, he could sift in, if not the sandwich picks. Um, but I, I expect Ralph Velasquez to be paid. Yeah, absolutely. And what what's really neat is, you know, we have the opportunity to watch these guys for their entire high school careers. And, you know, it wasn't too long into his freshman year where, you know, people were talking about, hey, this this bat is, is pretty special uh, for, for Velasquez. And, and we're going to bounce around here just because there's a number of guys that we want to talk about. So we, we won't just go straight hitters and then pitchers. So let's bounce around. And, and a guy that I keep hearing from scouts about is Cole Stokes and this is an arm who you know was a basketball player missed our preseason tournament as a result they were in the playoffs you know he's come out and you know I'm hearing whispers uh you know he's 94 96 you know obviously he's always had a really good breaking ball and the and the change and the change up uh, but it sounds like he's working on on a little bit of a splitter or a two seam uh, as well to get that fourth pitch and really ad, uh, advance his profile. What what's your take on Stokes as we head into next week's draft? Uh, well, it, it's funny that these splitters come into play. I feel like it's the Justin Lee um, special because he <laughs> totally. really added he added that splitter and really exploded up uh, this spring. Um, he's another one and. It's, we're bouncing around now. I think early on with this class, we thought that the bats were all in SoCal, right? And looking at our list that we're going to talk about, these are all some SoCal guys. Um, and NorCal's produced some some big time bats in the past, but the NorCal arms were something we were excited about. Uh, but then you throw in a guy like Cole Stokes, where he was playing basketball, didn't get as many looks, but in the scouting department, you're not looking for a guy who's right now ready, big leagues, nothing to to build with upside. You want, hey, this guy in three years could blossom into this number one, number two, number three starter. What could he be? And from what it sounds like, we, you and I have had tons of discussions about this, um, whether it's Cole Stokes or a guy like Cole Miller, uh, Cole Schoenwetter, who had a, a big spring, looks the part of a starter. Um, what's the explosive unteachableness that these arms bring that then we can provide innings and, and the foundation to get better. So that, that's what teams are looking for. And then Cole Stokes is a guy where he's got some unteachableness. That athleticism where he was on the basketball court, uh, the arm really works. The velo started to climb, which, I mean, the velo will simply just get better um, for a lot of guys just getting stronger. So I'd expect that to keep going. And it, it's easy to bet on your California guys less. Just statistically speaking, they're going to have the best chance to succeed. Yeah, well, you know, that kind of bears itself out in the numbers in the big leagues and throughout professional baseball. And and another guy who, you know, we've been talking about now for a couple of years, you know, Trent Caraway over at Jay Serra, you know, helped them obviously win back-to-back CIF Division One titles. He was our, you know, PBR California State Player of the Year 
you know, hit something absurd, like 467, you know, had had set the record for hits. I mean, this is a as pure a hitter, I think, as you could have in this class when it comes to just Southern California or California guys. Uh, you know, maybe Hedegers in the conversation with him, but I mean, Caraway seems, as far as just a pure hitter goes, seems to be potentially the best pick in that category. Would you agree or disagree with that? I- I would agree, and, and you know how much I've liked Caraway for the last few years. We've been in deep conversations about how good I think he is, um, and I do think from the right-handed side and, and watching him early on in the spring and what he did um, throughout the spring for Jay Sarah when in that southern section um, was very impressive. Uh, I was just on a D1 baseball podcast talking about Caraway, where in a year where I thought that the Southern California hitting statistics were relatively down, like if, if you hit 260, 270, it, it, that was really good um, across the board. And then Caraway to hit darn near 500 in the Trinity League was outstanding. I think he can really hit when we're looking at the draft from a, a, a nationwide perspective. Aiden Miller's the top right-handed bat. He's a Florida product in the Tampa area. I'd expect him to go in the top 20 picks. Trent Caraway's not far off. Aiden's a better defender. Um, and I think we haven't heard the same monster buzz um, from the mainstream uh, as much as we've been promoting it, probably because of his profile as a right-right guy who most likely is is you know an offensive second baseman, maybe a left fielder, but the bat's going to be in there. And I think you're paying for that offensive production, and that kid is going to hit. He is just flat-out going to do it. He looks like a big leaguer. He handles himself that way. He's about 6'2", 6'3". I was impressed at just how big he is in person. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think you'll hear a lot about Caraway until he's just taken. You'll you'll be looking at what number it is and say, "Yep, we knew that the whole time." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we we mentioned him a, a little bit earlier when starting to talk about Caraway, but but Caden Hediger uh, is a mm. guy that is just flying up draft boards. You know, I checked in with a couple of scouts after you know private workouts with their with their respective teams and. You know, one scout said, I, I can't get over how strong he is. Uh, you know, another scout said, you know, it's a legitimate uh, switch hitting profile. You know, another scout said the, the power is just going to continue to come with him. And this is a guy that hit, you know, eight or nine bombs this year for Sierra Canyon. And, uh, you know, he was injured last year, uh, you know, blew out his knee, had surgery, was completely distraught about it. You know, but I remember having the conversation with him at a, at a tournament last spring and telling him, dude, I think this is just the biggest blessing in disguise for you. <laughs> He's uh. <laughs> That bat is going to be what carries again. Like the, the switch hitting this, I think a lot of um, clubs are shying away from the high school catching in general. But when you have a bat like that from both sides, the power projects, um, it's hard to find those switch hitters like that, especially at the high school level who can do it from both sides kind of equally with the power projection. He's done, he showed off that power in important places at the right time in front of the right people. Um, Yes, he can catch, but he's athletic enough to go out the left field, first base. Um, the, the premium position behind the dish will help him. But again, I mean, the bat is what you're getting. Yeah, the, the bat is, is really is really what the carrying tool is right now. Excuse me there, a little little sniper attack there. Um, but uh, yeah, Hedegar is, is a guy, again, who, who is on the rise. And, and another guy that is on the rise as well. Brandon Winokur out of Edison High School, 
you know, obviously they, they played shortstop there, played outfield there. Uh, he's been on the bump now up to 96, uh, 97, according to some reports. Um, mm. Another guy, when you check in with scouts um, after the private workouts, it's you hear things like, you know, freakishly athletic and, you know, super athletic player that's just going to get better and things of that nature. So when you talk about guys like Stokes and you're talking about projection and looking down the road two, three years, I mean, Winokur with another 30 pounds is a scary thought. Kid's a freak. I mean, the athleticism, <laughs> the, the things he's able to do, then he hops on the mounds up to 97. Um, he's one where I think a lot of um, – Departments like it's tight to the, the, the vest there like he may go super high I don't think anybody's been too loud about it because they don't want to let anything seep out there and let other Scouting departments know how much they like him. He, he is one of those guys Will Gasparino is kind of the same way where it could be super high or he could end up at UT um, There there's a whole host of different uh, items in play, and it always comes down to signability. Where where does this guy fit in an, a draft that, especially the baseball draft, which is less about talent and more about accounting? How many players can we get into this barrel, um, and and just kind of grab volume of talent and hope that it, it clicks? I think a guy like Winokur and, and Will Gasparino are pieces to a farm system that will only make that farm system better. And if you get them at the right price, it can really help elevate your system. And another guy who I think is going to really help elevate somebody's system is, is a you know left-handed pitcher. We had him at our pro case. We saw him at the, in the division two final where he just absolutely dealt and kept his team in it till late. And, you know, Sterling Paddock out of South Hills, is you know a six foot one ish left-handed pitcher you know is regularly now into the 90s with the fastball but it's a true four pitch mix easy loose repeatable mechanics uh, you know it's an easy operation down the mound and and he's a guy who is starting to get a little bit of buzz uh as we head into the draft next week and and you the the buzz is always um tough for us right we put out our information we go out we scout we evaluate um and this is what we have but we don't ultimately sign those checks we don't know the medicals that these guys are dealing with or what their signability may be having said that internally we have been huge sterling paddock fans the, the pitch ability that he's shown at, at major uh national events um just how clean everything works um, and he's another guy where like you may not hear anything and he may just get taken and then we will talk about on the backside like just how much we liked him and that scouting department did a great job right a, a lot of times we're looking for or the, the industry is looking for validation right so for a pitcher validating oh the velo has come oh he's throwing 96 now oh validating he's striking these guys out like they need the numbers and the metrics to validate those things. But I think those departments that are getting out the most and getting multiple looks and able to envision what he could blossom into, those are the ones who are going to be rewarded when they get a guy like a Sterling Paddock who can really pitch. He goes out there, disrupts timing. He has big stuff, um, but he could throw multiple pitches for a strike. He looks the part of a starter, and those guys are very valuable. Um, but he's one of those guys where I, I can't say enough about it. We could throw in Justin Lee along the same lines, some explosive stuff. Hey, what can we get out of Justin Lee? Swings and misses. What can we get in the zone? Swings and misses. He has that splitter when it's on. 
it, it's uh, a unique profile. And especially since he added that slider, um, that's something that, you know, there's some unteachableness. And that's, I, I'll keep saying that word. What can we not teach? That's what we're trying to pay for, right? As an organization, if we can teach it, we don't really need to pay for that. We can just develop it. We want to get guys who have things that we cannot teach. Um, like a Joey Volchko from up in NorCal who's big breaking ball, big fastball. Um, strikes have come and gone. So do we believe as a, as a system that that will come? Will he click? Because if it does, the stuff is explosive. It's frontline type um, stuff. Cole Schoenwetter, Les, you got to see this year up in Santa Barbara. Yeah. Um, the fastball curveball stuff, just the way the delivery, super athletic. I mean, if you show a video of Cole showing what is somebody, it's an easy yes. Yeah, we got to go in on that. But having a scouting department that sees him multiple times, what is the makeup? Can this guy go out there and compete under the lights? What, those are things that you really want to get in there and see. You know, and so let's flip that on its head because we've talked about, you know, things that we can teach guys that have upside and, and, you know, versus guys who may be a little bit um, more of a finished product, if you will. I mean, that's kind of unfair to, you know, label to put on some of these guys, given that they're high school seniors. But, uh, you know, in terms of upside versus a guy that's ready to go now, you know, obviously the priority I would imagine is on the upside, but you can't just, you know, disavow what, what a guy's already doing, right? So, I mean, if you look like a, if you look at a guy like, say, Gavin Grahovic, right? Yeah, there's some <laughs> upside there, uh, but man, this guy has produced for four years, you know, and he's produced in in the big events, and he's he's done it on a national level, you know. But then he goes out and he maybe has a a substandard for him, you know, high school baseball season where you know he doesn't hit 470 with 20 bombs and you know whatnot. I mean, where does that put a Put a guy like say Gavin Grahovic, um, you know, as we head into this draft. Well, well, you're not. The issue a lot of times is like you're not really scouting off of the results only, right? They they play a part because they help mitigate that risk, right? A Caraway who hits 460 in the Trinity League is easier to project, like this. The same way, hey, Paul Skeens dominated the SEC. Well, that's pretty darn good. Um, it makes it easier <laughs> for us to go in and say, hey, we might want to take him with the first pick. Um, but along the same lines, it's if you see a guy struggle, you can go back to I was just at PDP watching a lot of 24s, which we'll talk about at the end here. Um, guys struggle there all the time. It's the start of the summer where you're facing the best arms. You just got here. It's hot. It's a new place. You go back all the way to USA. Dylan Cruz in high school struck out a ton at USA. Almost gets written off. Oh, there's lots of swing and miss. All right. Well, he's going to go to school at LSU and he'll become a top three uh, pick in the draft in three years that you'll pay for. Um, you look at like Max Clark will probably go in the top five. He's three for 16 at uh, the PDP last year. Four strike. He didn't walk. Four strikeouts, no walks from yeah. the guy who might go first overall. Um, so just looking at those results, you'll miss some stuff. Uh, but you look at a guy like Gavin Gerhovac, who, unless you know how, how big of a fan I was, and mm -hmm. he's got cute, great options, right? Super physical kid can play multiple positions. I think he's still trying to figure out where he sets in positionally. I'm sure scouts are looking at that. Hey, the big arm, he's gone behind the plate, still needs some seasoning back there uh, catching-wise. Is he a true shortstop? Uh, probably not, but it, it's athletic out there. Probably shifts over to third. Maybe offensive second baseman. Can he go to the outfield? Um, I don't think he got quite as much love as the, these other guys throughout the spring this year. 
Um, but it's it's a definite big time profile. And depending on what he wants, um, now he's committed to Texas A&M. I just talked about Dylan Cruz. I've, I've said it before. A guy like Gavin Grohovec could easily go to Texas A&M, and in three years you're looking back thinking, hey, he only wanted 1.5 million. Now we got to pay him four. <laughs> you know, like, right, right, and. and and that's the the projection that you're also looking at. Um, and we could bounce around even more to a guy like Roman Martin, who, you know, scuffled a little bit early. There was some swing and miss, but can really defend. He's a good athlete or a great athlete, can stick at shortstop, but he gets hurt, right? And and those are the conversations less you and I have had before, right? He got hurt, and what's the first thing I say to you? Can he get better? Yeah, he he's going to heal. He'll be just fine. Um, now, what does that do to his number? If he's a $3 million profile guy who now only wants $1 million, well, you save $2 million on a guy who easily could have been a first-rounder with a full spring. Um, th- that's what I think a lot of systems are trying – or a lot of uh, organizations are trying to find. Yeah, a couple other guys um, that probably find themselves in a similar situation as those two mentioned. You know, Eric Batanti is another guy who – you know, we've been pretty high on for a while now. Obviously, left-handed power bat, played shortstop, pitched. Uh, you know, I don't know that he stays at shortstop, though. Uh, watching the combine there, he he really played well there at that position uh, and had some of those guys believing that, you know, he, in fact, can stay at shortstop. You know, we've seen him uh, quite a bit here the last couple of years since his, his move to Aquinas. And, you know, we saw him, you know, up close and personal in our tournament this spring and then followed him obviously throughout the spring. And, you know, here's a guy that is is one of the, the nicest human beings you'll ever meet and, you know, no character issues whatsoever and is young for the draft. So how does that help him, hurt him, position him best for the draft? It's funny you talk about how nice he is, but when he goes between those lines, oh, he's yeah. a different person. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of scouts will love about him uh but when i look at like the easiest way the most basic way to look at that age difference right because we have some guys who will be 19 before the draft he's a guy who'll be 17 i almost like look in my head like what would eric batanti be in next year's draft class so if we say okay he's still got another year are we all of a sudden talking about him as a top 10 prospect which would put him into the first round well now if you can get him in the second round this year you're stealing away a year and getting it a discount. Um, and I actually think that what Spencer Jones has done um, and where some teams are shy, are shifting away from like, where Batanti's about 6'4 and a half, 6'5, it's a bigger frame. Can those big guys still hit? Yes. Organizations are starting to show like, yeah, we can get a lot out of these guys. Aaron Judge has done great things. Spencer Jones going from Vanderbilt where he had such a great year last year, goes in the first round to the Yankees. Now, all of a sudden, Eric Batanti, who's showing off that big power at the right time. I think he hit two balls out at Dodger Stadium a couple of years ago at a big event. Um, he also can hop in the mound. He competes. He pitches. Uh, I think the swing still has some stuff to figure out, but it has all the ingredients. And when you really evaluate him on almost a 2024 level, it helps to elevate what he might become. Yeah, I think the the athleticism and the ability to play multiple positions along with his age really factors into, you know, his 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 potential. Uh, and for the record, I, uh, we at PBR California always liked Spencer Jones better as a hitter uh, than we did as a pitcher. <laughs> True. <laughs> 
A uh, couple more guys, you know, we'll head up to NorCal here, you know, with you know, Jackson Flora and Aiden Keenan. Um, a couple of guys that, you know, are on the rise, particularly Flora, um, a guy that I know you like quite a bit. So Flora's a guy like we moved into our top pitching, uh, the top 50, which is important for us to have those lists. We shifted towards that this year outside of like a a draft 500 board just seemed ridiculous internally to us because at no point in a draft room are you just ranking one through 500 because most of it is in groupings and we'll probably head even to more groupings whereas right now we have our top 75 college position players top 75 college pitchers top 50 high top 50 high school pitchers top 50 high school position players and no room is going to have just a straight one through 500 because there's so many variables within this draft and those guys don't match up with signability, um, the positional um, necessities, but like comparing sometimes a multitude of right-handed pitchers. And on our list, it probably starts at about, let's say eight or so, eight to 10. And then those guys from 10 to 40 are all in a bucket very similar. And I would put a guy like Jackson Florida into that really clean mover, big, powerful arm. I think he's going to throw very hard very soon. Um, but a lot of that comes down to with him with regards to this year's draft. What is his signability? Because we're trying to mitigate that risk. Yes, we might think that he can be a top 15 pick in three years, but uh, there's a little bit of doubt. Well, that, that doubt is going to lower how much we're willing to buy out his college years. Um, but I'm a huge fan of Jackson Florida. He's on that top 50 um, top high school prep pitchers list, along with a bunch of these guys. Uh, Aiden Keenan's another one where he has that Stanford commitment. It's tough to buy guys out of that. It very rarely, if ever, happens. Um, so his reasoning being on that list is something that we're looking for in three years, right? He goes to the farm has great career for the Cardinal. In three years, we're talking about a guy we think has the arm talent, the athleticism to really jump in those top 40 type picks just based off the tools that he has now um, and Stanford historically producing those arms. Um, but th- those are some guys. I mean, you can co- throw Gabe Gakel's probably, um, I would say, the most likely to sign of those NorCal bunch. Um, he- he's had injury history in the past come back from it showing some explosive stuff he has swing and miss stuff which gets paid for he can challenge in the zones in hitter counts with his stuff um which also why ucla is going to be sweating out this draft but um (laughs) uh for sure they're they're on my top five uh most at risk uh recruiting classes ucla yeah no and and, uh, they probably are on that list you know, pretty much every year, I would imagine. But, you know, what what I'm curious, Shooter, because there there's a two-way guy we haven't talked about yet who I believe is a legitimate two-way guy um, in Nolan Stevens, committed to Mississippi State. You know, obviously power bat, can really handle the, the, the barrel, uh, you know, hops on the mound in his, you know, upper 80s, low 90s with the, you know, really good secondary stuff. How much of the two-way positioning if you will will impact his his draft slot uh i don't think so much um it's tough to be a two-way <laughs> like there's a reason why not many guys do it like Sho- shohei otani is a um 
Uh, a unicorn? Unique, yeah, a unicorn <laughs> is a great way to put it. I was going to say a unique creature. So unicorn goes there. Um, and Noel Stevens, a really confident kid, um, can do both very well. And we talk about it all the time. It's not the sum of those two parts, right? Like how good are you? It's It doesn't mean you're an 80 at one and a 90 at another, so you're a 170. No, you're just – you can only do half. Um, at one time that did not make sense uh, as well as it did in my head um, but like a guy like Nolan Stevens which will he be usually if you sign him you want to send him off as an offensive prospect see what he can do there because you could always fall back on the pitching you need less reps on the mound than you do uh, at bats at the plate um, but a guy like Nolan Stevens who had some swing and miss present especially over the last year um, where he had exploded after that after his sophomore summer where he was looking, trending up, it kind of leveled out a little bit, but I'd expect big things of him, especially if he makes it to Starkville. Um, that power plays from the left side, but he's also not scared on the bump, and that fastball I think is going to run up into the mid-90s sooner rather than later. Yeah, he's, he's an intriguing guy. And, 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 you know, there are guys that you're, you're hearing about, you know, through scouts and after workouts and things like that that are starting to get a little bit of juice, you know, may not be – uh, a big issue with signability, you know, guys that that really want to go p- start their professional careers. We saw it last year with Chris Patiola, who went in the third round of the Cubs, mm. uh, who had a you know somewhat, I guess for lack of better terms, off uh, senior season, right in terms of numbers. Uh, but then we go back to that conversation you're talking about with the focus being on on everything else other than the numbers. And Boston Barrow is a guy who. I keep hearing his name from scouts and I'm curious, you know, what your take on, on him is in terms of his positioning for this draft. Well, I think he looks the part, right? He was probably one of the first guys going into the spring back in January, February, where you're like, who is this guy? Yeah. Like he's a UCLA, he's UCLA, right? Right. And moves well. He's from Southern California. Um, it, it just checks a lot of boxes. He's athletic. Um, and he's another one where, similar to Pacciola or last year, and at the your pro case yep. last summer, where Pacciola kind of shined. And it wasn't even the loudest production. It's just like, hey, this kid's going to hit. He's able to change planes. He slows things down, which a lot of California kids do so well, that innate uh, clock that they have internally. Um, but Barrow, the athleticism, I would not be surprised if, if you're hearing a guy like that in the third through fifth round, depending on signability always. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's a guy that seems to be climbing. Um, well, you know, we, we talked about the draft that's coming up here in the next couple of uh, days. Uh, I believe next Tuesday, I think it is, the 11th. And so, you know, we, we've kind of recapped a lot of those California guys for that draft. But, but Shooter, you had the opportunity, as you mentioned earlier, to spend some time at the PDP uh, last week where you had an opportunity to see some of the top 2024 players um, in from around the country uh, as you know they go through a series of workouts and then play games uh, things of that nature as usual the rosters were littered with uh, players from California uh, particularly Southern California uh, and I was pretty excited to see those rosters because we had a number of those guys at our pro case just uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago so now you're starting to get the the repetition of looks against quality competition, right? And, and, you know, let's jump into some of the guys that stood out to you from California at the PDP and, 
you know, a guy I know that that we both are really high on, uh, Palo Alto shortstop Charlie Bates really stood out for you. Yeah, but for all the talk about SoCal, this NorCal kid is outstanding. And he closed out last summer. He's probably one of my favorite guys of the entire summer. Stanford recruit, Palo Alto. So he played next to Henry Bolte. I think scouts got to see him there um, a ton. But he can really pick it, moved around well at shortstop. Um, as we're trying to, to see what this class has to offer, he was one who really stood out. Um, batting practice provided a glimpse at some pull side power from the left side. Um, which he's in a grouping of, let's say, four or five shortstops or similar profiles starting the summer. thought he separated himself a little bit um, at PDP with regards to that barrel field, but especially uh, the, the chance for him to hit some, for some power is going to help elevate his draft profile. Um, he obviously can hit in games. I want to say he went five for ten at the event, and this is an event we talked earlier with all his first rounders last year who scuffled a little bit. Um, It's fine to scuffle there. Um, It's only natural, but the guys who don't and produce kind of stand out. And Charlie Bates was one of those guys can stick at shortstop. He's on the barrel perpetually left-hander, right-hander. It doesn't matter. I'm a huge fan plays with bounce out there. Um, There were, there were a ton of, uh, California names like less. I kept adding some <laughs> on here. I'll try to keep it um, just to some guys that really stood out for me. So Boston Bateman, who's a big left-handed arm going into the summer, big six seven. He's got like almost a mullet work in. Um, it's an imposing presence. Up in the low 90s, he creates kind of a steep plane on the fastball and can tunnel a big breaking ball. So one seven tight curveball. Um, his first outing, I, I don't do this often because I don't like to make excuses for kids, but the umpire absolutely squeezed him, and it really disrupted the outing because he was throwing great pitches, and it takes a lot for me to come out of character and be a little bit audibly on the umpire, and I felt like I was getting close to that with how <laughs> how much these were strikes that he should have been getting. So um, he did a good job handling that. Like the mound presence was clearly there. He's six seven, fastball breaking ball, really good, powerful pitches. I'd expect him to be in the mid nineties um, sooner rather than later. Um, and it's tough to find that profile, a guy who can move that well with that big of a frame. He's definitely one to follow. Cade Townsend, who we talked about before coming on here, because he doesn't play high school season. So we didn't get a chance to see him in the spring, but he hops out there. And I told you early on, uh, he's 93, 94. It's a short, efficient takeaway, big breaking ball metrics, swing and miss stuff. And by the end, I was thinking, like, yeah, it kind of looks just like Thatcher hurt. Um, not too far from what Thatcher looks like at LSU. And if you saw the championship game for LSU, very similar stuff. Big breaking ball. He's hunting swings and misses, um, has a chance there. I thought there were two catchers that I loved. Or um, there are actually three catchers there, and, and Dylan Fien was, was good too. Switch hitting catcher, um, looks the part. I think he's going to really hit. Whether he stays behind the plate, we'll see. Uh, but a really, really talented player. But Kalen Applefield and Nick Montgomery, I think, have really elevated themselves. Um, Applefield, who I'd seen early in the summer, he's a switch hitting catcher, uh, sturdy frame, did a nice job behind the dish, but it's a powerful stroke, not too unsimilar to Caden Hedegar. Um, Hedegar probably has a bit more flick in the wrist, kind of looser, but Applefield really shined, um, even without the actual loud results. I loved his presence in the box and his ability to track. Uh, and then Nick Montgomery, another pro case standout. He has just exploded this summer. And at 6'4", 205, 210, um, it's as 
good of a frame as you'll see an Adonis looking character now he played a lot of first base at Cyprus this year because they had a talented backstop and he was filling a void but I think he's one of the top catchers in the entire country in this 24 class um, he had a great week at the plate saw pitches well took his walks um, I think he's a guy who's only going to continue to rise uh, and he'll have no shortage of looks there at Cyprus they're they're always reloading uh, yeah. and and then I'm, I'm looking like even Danny Arambola, who's a Yukaipa kid, right? Yep. Um, Profile-wise, right, 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 probably second, third baseman. But the dude can just hit. Uh, he's a little bit older for the class. He was on the barrel, like not scared of the situa- of um, the big stage, which none of your Southern California kids are. They compete in this every day, right? It's nothing yep. new to face a first-rounder on the mound. We do that on Tuesdays and Thursdays in league play. Um <laughs> So, like, he, he was good to watch. Tommy Bridges from Harvard-Westlake. I mean, I told him after his first outing, I think it was a 10-pitch, one inning, all fastballs. Pound in the zone, uh, clean one, two, three inning. I said, Tommy, you're going too quick. I can't get my camera up. I can't hardly get the notes written down on what your velos were. Uh, but <laughs> super efficient out there. Um, Ethan Schiefelblind, who was explosive at USC for the pro case, um, it was a lot of the same where the arm really works the breaking ball i thought not many of the guys spun uh their usual good breaking balls outside of bateman he he was really spun some good stuff um but shiva mine looks the part he's not scared of the moment um in the least but really talented group uh, i touched on dylan fiend justin cuellar who the velo is not the same as we saw last summer with the explosive stuff um, on that upward trajectory, he had huge numbers up in NorCal this year at yeah. Tolor. Um, but he also struck out a ton of guys. It was efficient innings. And going back to earlier in the show where, oh, he didn't hit 95 in this game, but dude can pitch. It's kind of a short takeaway, a little bit funky, works downhill from the ear. Um, but his ability to get some really talented hitters out, even without the ability to rear back for 94, 95, what happens if he can do that? Uh, and then Stunner Gonzalez, another young, I want to say he's young for the class. Um, big six, seven frame. When it all comes together, it's, it's a really good arm. Um, as the spin gets better, I think that will help him. Um, trying, oh, how could I? Almost forgot the number one player in the class, Les. Um, <laughs> and to just to wrap it up with Bryce Rayner, who did not have the production that he probably expected on the week which a lot of the top 10 prospects in the class did not, right? They have a bullseye on their back. They're getting everybody's best shot each time. And especially for your California kids, North Carolina is a different animal in June. It, it is thick. It is humid. It is hot. Um, these kids go through full-day workouts where it's, you know, six, seven hours where you're at the field. This is pro-style college. You're, you're getting ready for this becomes the norm uh, at the next level. But for a high school guy, it's not. And Bryce is still filling out. Love the projection. Nothing coming off. Um, not coming off where we have him right now. Took some good swings. What I'm most excited about him is how easy the power comes from a, a frame that's still wiry. He's going to add another 20, 30 pounds to that, but he's really able to get the ball up in the air and, and juice it. Um, so Bryce Rayner, big fan. Less, I, again, I, there's always another California kid. <laughs> I almost forgot the guy who probably stood out above everybody else at the event was Derek Curiel. Um, and he starts the event going three for three or three for four in the first game. And 
the expectation of success is what stands out for Kirill. He has that, Cal, I call it that California coolness, which is everything comes easy. He slows it down. He's never in a hurry, can really go get it in center field. At the plate, he's facing these premium arms, and nothing speeds him up. I always relate. Now, he's not this guy. Um, it, it, his ability to slow things down is just on a different level. And he had the success um, at the event. I want to say he had five or six hits, um, which he seems to do every time he's at a big event. But even his walk from on-deck circle to the plate, he carries himself in a professional manner. Like nobody's going to get him sprinting to the box. Hey, this is my time. I get, you know, whatever it may be, 90 seconds at the plate. I am going to make the most of it. Everybody is going to know that Derek Curiel was at the plate and in this game, and everybody did. Yeah, that that that's uh that seems to be what we've seen here for the last three years from a lot of those guys you mentioned, particularly Bridges and and Curiel and and I know that you left the pro case about as excited on Nick Montgomery as I think I've ever seen you, and the fact that he backed it up at the PDP is is really exciting because again. Another one of those kids. It's just an, an awesome kid, right? And, and I'm not. Don't know if you had an opportunity to t- chat with him or not, but uh, an awesome kid from a fantastic program over at Cyprus. So, shooter man, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and chatting draft. Not only 2023, but a look ahead to the 2024 guys and. You know, just breaking it down for California. I know how much you love the area, uh, particularly the players. Um, you know, so hey, man, I really appreciate you doing this. Less any time. Can't wait to wrap up the summer with the next crew in the 24s. Well, we're we're gonna have to come back on, have you back on, and, and break down the future games here in a couple of weeks because that's going to be another absolutely loaded event for us. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Shooter Man. We'll talk soon. Big thanks to Shooter Hunt for joining me on the podcast today to break down some 23 draft prospects along with a look ahead to the 24 draft and a PDP review. Be sure to check out PrepBaseballReport.com for all your news, ranking, and event information. And hit us up on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram, and on Facebook at PBR California. Until next time, we'll see you at the yard.